Awesome. You know what? Let's pray today as we, as we jump into this. You know, I'm, I'm really grateful for the presence of God. Anybody else? I love it that when I walk into this place, and you know, the presence of God is not just limited to this place. We are, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of God. And he lives on the inside of us. But I'll tell you something, there is something that is amazingly reassuring about walking in the doors of this place with God's people and sensing the presence of God. My prayer today is that God will speak to all of us and inspire all of us with what he's prepared and put in my heart today and that we would all just receive from him. So would you just join me? This might be a little bit strange for you, but would you just put your hands out like this, like you're ready to receive something? And let's just pray today. Father, we thank you that we as your people can come boldly into your house and expect to hear from you. So this morning, Father, I pray that you would open our ears, that you would open our minds, that you would open our heart, that we would hear from you, and that we would not just be hearers of your word, but then we would choose to be doers of your word, and that we would go about accomplishing the thing that you have called us to do. We thank you, God, that this is your day and your house, and we are your people. We put our trust in you today. We welcome you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, I want to bring you a message called Life on Mission. Life on Mission. About three, three and a half years ago, something like that, we did a series here in our church actually called Life on Purpose. And we talked about purpose. We talked about how God wants to, sh- wants to walk each and every one of us and show us the purposes that he has for our lives. And we looked at some specific people in Scripture, and we talked about how God kind of unfolded purpose in their life and how he walked them into the purposes that he had for their life. But with that said, I was reminded this week when I was, I was reminded of that series as I was kind of preparing this message for today, because I wasn't thinking specifically about purpose as much as I was thinking about mission. And that word mission is a little bit different than the word purpose. You know, the word mission is not a new word to the church. We know about missions and we know about missionaries. We know about missions projects and missions trips. You can even go visit some old missions that exist that are like focal points of an outreach in a specific community. But usually when we think about this word mission, we think about something that happens somewhere else. And oftentimes we like to think about the word purpose and talk about how it is that we can discover the specific individual purpose that God has for our lives. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Purpose is good. We should all be pursuing the purposes that God has for our life. But I personally believe that there's a difference between purpose and mission. And let me explain what I mean by that. See, purpose is something that we discover throughout our lives as we walk with God. God will continually lead us into new seasons, which oftentimes have new purposes to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through us in the earth. But one of the differences about mission as compared to purpose is that when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Christ, right then and there at that moment, you become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. So if you are saved, if you call Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've experienced salvation and repentance and you've chosen to follow Jesus, you are now a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand at that very moment that God has given us a corporate, not just an individual purpose, he's given us a corporate mission. Is everybody with me? And if you don't know what it is, many of you probably do, but maybe you're not remembering immediately what it is. This is what it is. It's in Matthew chapter 28. We often call it the Great Commission. Jesus had already died. He had gone to the cross, and then he's been raised from the dead. And before he is to ascend into heaven, he gathers up his disciples, and he says to them, he says, okay, guys, I'm about to go. My physical body in the flesh, I'm going to be leaving this earth. But when I go, you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is going to come to kind of take my place to be here with you. 
But there is a mission that I am leaving with you. I'm putting it in your hands. And it's the mission that wasn't just for those disciples who became apostles. It's the mission that we as the church of Jesus Christ are to go forth and accomplish in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said these words to his disciples. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing he said was teach them to obey the commands that I have given you. So that was the mission. It was clear. And the disciples each individually would discover purposes in their individual lives. But corporately, just like us today, there is a mission that God has given to us as the church of Jesus Christ to go forth and accomplish. Are you with me so far? Now, I want to talk a little bit about this mission today. Because once we understand that, when we understand that when we become Christians, we are now a part of the church, we are the church, we are a part of the body of Christ, and we know that great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Once we know that, the thing that we have to take ownership of as the body of Christ, both corporately and individually, is simply this. We have a mission. We have an assignment, and we have a calling that has been given by God to not just be people who are hearers of the word or who just come to church and receive of the word, but God is wanting to feed into our lives so that we can go out and accomplish his mission. Amen? So this message today is going to be a little bit different, and especially if you kind of like to come to church just to specifically receive, 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 I want to tell you that today my hope and my prayer is that you're going to be challenged and inspired to not just receive, but to go out and do something with that which you have received. Because as the church of Jesus Christ, if we are continually receiving but doing nothing with what God has given us, somewhere along the line we have missed the point. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. I mentioned that word church. Once you become a believer, when you choose to follow Jesus, you are now a part of the church. And I want to talk a little bit more about that word church for just a moment. But before I do it, let me ask everybody here a question. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably heard a lot of people give a lot of meanings or definitions to that word church. So just for the sake of of this conversation right now, I want to ask each and every one of you, when I say that word church, What do you think of? Don't say it out loud, but just think of it in your head for just a moment. What's the picture that you have in your mind when I say the word church? I gave this some thought, and, you know, one of the things that we as pastors experience a lot that's really funny is like, you know, I don't know what your occupation or your job is, but, you know, when you go out in the world and you kind of have like a secular job, you know, you you work outside of the church, if someone asks you what you do, you know, you just explain that, you tell it to them, they're like, oh, yeah, cool, I get that, I understand, you know, you're in this line of work. But um, the best one is like for us as pastors, when we're on an airplane or when you go to play golf or when you're sitting in some sort of public place and you strike up a conversation with somebody and they say, so what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. Let me tell you that oftentimes the conversation gets very awkward from that point on. Because it's almost like people feel like they're, I'm going to put them on a guilt trip or pastors are going to say, oh, I condemn you for the sinful life that you live or something like that. And the thing is, like, we're not God. We're just people who have kind of responded to the calling that God has put on our lives. But in having those kinds of conversations throughout the years, you begin to discover that when you say pastor and when you say church, outside of the church, and even within the church when you say the word church, sometimes we have some really strange ideas of what church really is. And I wrote a few of these down. I asked you to just take a picture of that in your mind. What do you think of when you hear that word church? Well, to many people, inside and outside of the church, church is a building. 
It's a place. To many people, church is a Sunday destination. To many people, church is a family tradition. To many people, church is the expression of a religious tradition. To many people, church is an institution of morality. And for many others, church is simply the place that you go to try to prove to God that you want to make him happy. Come on, smile for a minute. And I say that because there's a lot of people that would say, you know, I, I, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and I, I don't go to church that often, but my sole reason for going and showing up is because I just at least want God to know that I, that I care, so I'll, I'll slip in, you know, maybe slip out a little bit early or something like that, but at least I just want God to know that I'm, I'm trying, and I've, I've still got it in my mind up here that I want to follow him. And a lot of people have all kinds of different ideas of what church is, but can I tell you that the world has tried to wrap all kinds of definitions and all kinds of meanings around that word church that don't even come close to defining the thing that Jesus had in mind when he introduced the idea. And I want to explain this to you for just a moment, because if you look at it in proper context, this is what we see and how we see it unfolding, okay? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, but more specifically, he's talking to Peter. And he says something, you know, Peter's name was Simon Peter. Jesus was the one that said, I'll call you Peter. And he was pretty much called Peter from then on out in scripture. But he says, you know, Simon, the world views you a certain way. They see you for your weaknesses. They see you for your deficiencies. But when I see you, I see Peter, which means rock. And I don't see you for the way the world sees you. I see you for who your, what your potential is and who you can become. And I want to tell you today that the world might see you a certain way, and you might see you a certain way, but God sees you for who you can be, not who you have been. And it's important that each and every one of us know this. But this picture that we see in Matthew 16 is Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I don't see you the way the world sees you. I see you for who you can be. You are Peter. You're a rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. It's the first time that Jesus uses that word. Now, what is he saying there? Is he saying, I will build my building? Is he saying, I will build a Sunday destination? Is he saying, I will build an American institution? Which if that's what you think the church is, you're mistaken. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he's literally doing here is he is declaring war on the kingdom of darkness that lives in this world. I will build my church, and I'm not going to do it through a building. I'm not going to do it through a moral institution. I'm not going to do it through a tradition or through a relocation. I'm going to do it through people. If you look at that word church in the original writings, there in the Greek, that word church is this word ekklesia, ekklesia. And what that word literally means is the called out ones. The called out ones. The word church there is not describing, again, a place or a location or an institution. It's describing people. We are the called out ones. We are the ecclesia. So if that word means the called out ones, then what is it that we're called out of and what is it that we are now called into? Let me just unpack this for you because here's the beauty of that question. Here's the beauty of this, okay? When Jesus established this idea of church, who was he talking to? He's talking to Peter. Look later on at the Apostle Peter's writings. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is what Peter said. Nobody would have understood this better than Peter. He says, but you, he's talking to the church, you are a chosen generation. I want to tell you today that if you are a follower of Christ, you are chosen by God to be different than the world around you. 
He says, you're a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. If you are in Christ, you are the royalty of God. You're a holy nation, his own special people that you, everybody say you, everybody say me, that I may proclaim the praises of him who called you, listen, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How many people have been called out of darkness and you have discovered marvelous light in a relationship with Jesus? Some of you are like, maybe should I clap? That's the entire picture of what it means to be the church, ecclesia, the called out ones, those who have been called out of darkness and called into light. So it stands to reason that if we as the church of Jesus Christ, as Christians, if we have been called out of darkness and into light, that our lives should look a little bit different in the light than the lives of those who still live in the darkness. We are to be light in a dark world. We are to bring salt and light into a world that is continually losing its flavor and slipping further into darkness. Our lives are called to be different than those of the world around us. It's incredibly important that we all know that. So we know about our assignment. We know that we've been called out of darkness and we've been called into light. But now that we are Christians, we are the church. We are the church. Everybody say that. Say, we are the church. Personalize it. Say, I am the church. But sadly for a lot of us, we still don't understand that because we've slipped into this comfortable pattern of simply going to church. And there's, there's not a whole lot in scripture that's given to us if you compare those two things about going to church and being the church. In fact, if you look all throughout the New Testament, most of the information that we're given in the New Testament about how it is that we, going about, that we go about doing church it was simply given by the Apostle Paul for the most part to correct problems that were happening inside of the church. And so the thing that we need to see is that there's about this much given about how it is that we do church, but there's an entire New Testament shown to us about how it is that you and I are supposed to be the church. So if you are Christian and I am a Christian and we are now the church of Jesus Christ, the thing that we have to understand is that I am not just the church. You are not just the church on Sunday. If I'm the church today, I'm the church on Monday. I'm the church on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday until we all come back again next week and then we'll do it all over again. I'm not just the church when I come together with you on Sunday. I'm the church every single day of my life. And God is calling me to live my life with that in mind and be about his business and live my life on mission. But it's easy to slip into that comfortable place of going through a routine. A lot of us, we find ourselves going through the motions rather than living on mission. I want to dig into this a little bit more today. And when I say all this today, I think it's really, really important that everybody understands this is not a word of condemnation toward anybody. This is not a word of condemnation toward our church. My prayer is that this would be a word of inspiration because I believe that God is going to do greater things in the future of our church than anything we have ever seen in the past. And it's going to happen because we choose to be about the Father's business. Man, it's great. I love what Pastor said last week. When we look back, we can look back and see so many amazing things that God has done in our past. But how many people know that you can't look ahead if you're continually looking in the rearview mirror? And in order for us to accomplish greater things for the kingdom of God, we have to be about the Father's business. 
When we talk about that routine, for a lot of us, if we simply come to church and we receive and we go home and say, I'll see you next week, and church takes up no more space than our lives than an hour, 15, hour, 20, hour and a half on a Sunday morning, then maybe somewhere along the line we've missed the point. I know that for a lot of us when we think about church and we think about this idea of ministry, a lot of us tend to think that ministry is something that happens on the platform of a church on a Sunday morning by a handful of select church leaders. And there's something to be said for that, but the truth is there is way more authentic ministry that takes place outside of the walls of this place throughout the course of a week, an opportunity that lies in all of our hands, and it can be so much greater than what can be contained on a Sunday morning right here in this building. And with all of that said this morning, I want to just kind of shift some perspective this morning on what ministry is. So if you have your Bible, would you join me right now in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I heard a pastor say not too long ago that if our walk with God or if our Christianity is defined by how often we go to church, we have chosen the low watermark. It's like the lowest common denominator. What if God has more for your life and for my life than simply showing up for church on a Sunday morning? What if God wants more of us? What if he's requiring more of us? What if God wants us to live a more fulfilling life than just coming and receiving only on Sunday mornings occasionally? I want to show you something interesting. This is Ephesians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Now, the Apostle Paul was talking about the church. He's talking about the callings and the giftings that God has given to the church. And he's talking about the order and the way this is supposed to be done. Now, look what it says. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. And he himself, God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. Now, stop right there for a moment. This is what we oftentimes refer to as the five callings or giftings, or some people call it the fivefold ministry. Traditionally speaking, we've looked at ministry as something that happens amongst these five callings, these five offices of the church. And we've said, well, those are the people that do ministry, and we're just the people that show up and consume it, or we're just the people that show up and try to support that in some way or the other. I think, sadly, one of the mistakes that's been made over, you know, many generations in the church is we have taken those five callings or five giftings, those pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet, evangelist, we've taken those five things and we've put them in the spotlight and we've put them on big platforms and we've given them microphones and we've said, these are the highest callings of God. When in reality, so many people have heard that and they've said, well, I'm not called to be a pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet, or evangelist. So therefore, if those are the highest callings of God, then my calling must be lesser than those things. It's like God gave the good stuff to a select few, but the rest of us were just left to kind of pick up the crumbs or something. And that's not at all what the Apostle Paul had to say. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want to tell you something today. It's not about glorifying position in the church. It's simply about us being equipped so that we can go and do the thing that God is calling each and every one of us to do with our individual lives. Now, another side of this is that there, when we've glorified those five callings, those, those five giftings, and there's a lot of people that have looked at those and said, man, those are the highest callings of God right there. And so they've tried to kind of force themselves into one of those five areas. I, I'm going to be a pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet, evangelist, because bless God, those are the highest callings of God right there. And even parents are people that have forced their kids into those and said, you got to be one of those five things or otherwise you're doing something lesser than. There are people in this room right now that you are incredibly gifted for business. 
You're an incredible entrepreneur. Maybe you're great in public safety. I know that we have firefighters, police officers. We have first responders. We have salespeople. We have all kinds. I mean, I, I can't even list all of them. We have so many people who are business-minded, or you have this amazing value and these amazing skills inside of you, but the calling that you don't have is pastor, teacher, apostle, a prophet, or evangelist. Let me just tell you something. If I tried to step away from my calling and go and do the thing that God put inside of you, I would be absolutely miserable. Because God didn't call me to do the thing that he's called you to do. And if you tried to do the thing that God called me to do, it would drive you insane because you weren't called to do what I was called to do. And one isn't more valuable than the other. Instead, we each add value to each other. If I'm in my place and you're in your place, then together we can strengthen one another to go and accomplish the mission that God has set out before us. We have to understand that and know that there's not one calling that's exalted above any other. We are all equal and called in the sight of God to accomplish something specific, but together corporately to accomplish his mission. Amen? Now, watch this. This is what Paul says again, Ephesians 4, and he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are those five giftings or calling. To do what? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Say that again. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Wait, hold on a minute. You mean to tell me that the work of the ministry is not something that pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists do on their own? No. In fact, God has called us who have those five giftings on our life to equip the body of Christ to go out and partner with us in accomplishing that mission. Let me tell you something. There are places that you go Monday through Saturday that I will never go. There are opportunities that you have every day of your life that I don't have. And together, if we play our part, we will accomplish the mission that God has set in front of us. God has called us as the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So here's the thing. Now that you know that, now that you've heard it, you can't unknow it. You can't unhear it. There are things that God is calling each and every one of you to do with what he's already doing inside of you in your everyday life. God is saying, if you come and receive on a Sunday, go and do something with it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Hello? Everybody with me? Now, I want to take that last passage of scripture, and I just want to unpack four words really quickly. We said that those five callings or giftings were given to church leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Let's pull four quick words out of that real quick to prove a point, okay? First is the word equip. That word's pretty simple, but it literally means to prepare, to prepare, put tools in people's hands, okay? The second word is the word saints. Now, this is a beautiful word when you look at this in the original writings because this is what it means literally in the Greek. The word saints means consecrated or called out, just like church, right? Saints were a part of the church, were called out. But there's this emphasis when you go back and look at the way that that word is written, there's this specific uh, emphasis that's put on the word saints where it says those who are called out who have come from an awful thing. I mean, isn't that a picture of we, the church, being called out of darkness and into his marvelous light? I look at that, and man, that just hits home with me. Because let me tell you something. When Jesus found me, I was stuck in an awful thing. I was in the midst of darkness, and he called me out of that darkness and said, let me bring you into marvelous light. I love that idea. I love that picture. So when we see equip, we know that it means to prepare, put tools in the hands of saints, those who are called out. They've come from something awful. And then the third word for the work, the work there is simply task 
or action. And then finally, the fourth word, ministry. Now, I asked you earlier what you see when you see that word church. What do you see when you see the word ministry? Do you think of a platform? Do you think of, you know, the, the church staff people? Do you think of microphones? Do you think of standing before people and that, that's ministry? That's not at all what the New Testament records in the original writings of what ministry is. That's one form of it. But that word ministry literally means one thing. It means service. We say this all the time in our church. When new people come to our church, we invite everybody to come to Connecting Point. Let me tell you, if you're a part of this church and maybe you're still trying to find your place, I invite you to come to Connecting Point. Our next Connecting Point is on September the 17th, on a Sunday evening at 6 p.m. We have childcare. We would love to tell you more about the heart of the church and how it is that you can find your place. But we say this all the time when we talk about ministry. Ministry is serving and serving is ministry. It's just that simple. Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Those of us who serve, we minister. And if we want to minister, then we need to choose to serve. It's just that simple. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If we were to paraphrase that phrase into some modern English, this is what it would literally say. That it's our job to prepare the called out ones for the task of serving the world around us. And let me tell you something. It ain't that hard. It's not that hard. Sorry, ain't is an improper word, I guess. It is not that hard. Because each and every one of us, we have a world that we go to that we fit into so regularly all the time. We just slide right into it like it's not really a big deal, right? It's not hard to begin to serve the world around us. And, in, and as a consequence of that, we start to see ministry and opportunities Unfolding. A lot of us, when we hear that word ministry, we think, oh man, there is just no way in the world that I could ever be in ministry or I could minister to someone. Let me tell you something. It is as easy as simply choosing to serve the people around you. I remember growing up and, you know, being a pastor's kid in church, one of the things that we would be asked, like when I was in youth group and even when I was in kids' church, we would say, you know, how many people, and especially if we went away like to youth camps or leader stuff, this question would be asked all the time. How many people, how many of you, feel called to ministry? Don't raise your hands right now, but we would be asked that question. How many of you are called to ministry? And it was like half the room would be like, me, maybe, me, I think, I hope, I, I'm not sure. And there's like a third or a quarter of the room that they're like, I know that I'm called to ministry. And then there's some people that would raise their hand because to them ministry meant church job or stand on the platform one day. But I want to tell you something today. When I ask that general question, how many of you feel called to ministry? The one thing that we all need to awaken to is this idea that we should all lift our hand and understand that God, that God has called each and every one of us to ministry. And it's simply through serving the world around us. That's all that it is. That's all that it is. It's just that simple. And if you feel like, man, ministry is something that's for that select few, that hierarchy that God's put up there over the church. No, there is no hierarchy. We are co-laborers in the mission that God has set before us to reach the world around us with the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, how do we go about doing that? How do we go about ministering to and serving the world around us? In this local church, in this specific part of the body of Christ, the Bridge Church, we actually have a vision and a mission. So I want to ask you real quick, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
When you pull onto the property every Sunday, every, you know, whatever the event is, and you're bringing your kids, your students to youth, whatever the event might be, when you show up for church, when you pull onto this property, there are two huge banners that you just can't miss out on the front of the church. And it simply says two things, connecting with God and connecting with people. Our vision, our mission statement is simply this, to connect people with God and to connect people with people. That is the heartbeat of the Bridge Church. And you might know that phrase, you might know that slogan or that vision, but let me show you where it comes from, okay? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now stop right there for a moment. Remember, sin enters the picture. We're all born with a sinful nature. We even choose it oftentimes in our own lives to live sinful lives until the day comes that we recognize, man, these, I'm not living a life that's pleasing to God. And so God reconciled us to himself by sending Jesus to die on the cross in our place for our sins. In other words, Jesus became the bridge between God and sinful man. His sacrifice was accepted by God. God raised him from the dead. And by choosing Jesus, we crossed that bridge and we are then reconciled to God. We're put back in right relationship with God. And keep going here. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Who has he given that ministry to? Us. It's not just the people with the five callings. He's given it to us, the ministry, the service of reconciliation, that we might lay our lives down and we might become the bridge that people cross to encounter Jesus and then be reconciled to God. Is everybody with me so far? That's the literal picture of what we believe and what our heartbeat is here at the Bridge Church. That Jesus was the bridge that we crossed to come into relationship with God. So since he did that for us, we would then choose to lay our lives down in service or in ministry for people to cross that bridge, come into relationship with Jesus, and be reconciled to God. That's the heartbeat of our church. That's what we're all about. Verse 19 says, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And he has committed to us the word or the message of reconciliation. Now then, I love this part. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. And if that doesn't hit home with you, let me explain it to you like this. What does an ambassador do? I can be someone who lives and is born in the United States of America, but I'm then asked to become the ambassador on behalf of this nation or on behalf of this kingdom to another nation. That's what an ambassador does. Well, let me tell you something. I might have been born in the United States of America, but my citizenship eternally is in heaven. And as long as I'm on this earth, I am in a foreign land, and God is calling me to be ambassador of the kingdom of God in the world in which I live. But it's not just me. It's us. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that we might be representatives of the kingdom of God here in this world in which we live temporally. I was born in the United States of America. This earth is my temporary home, but heaven is my eternal home. And as long as I am here, I am ambassador of the kingdom of God. And so are you. Is everybody with me? We have to understand this. Once we know it, we can't unknow it because God has put us on a mission to make disciples of the world and the nations that are around us. Now, let's go a little bit further because if we want to understand that, I think it's important that we look at this also. I was reading through that passage of Scripture where our vision statement, our mission statement come from in 2 Corinthians 5. 
I was reading the entire chapter, and I saw something that was just, man, it just jumped right out to me. Let's go back a few verses. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. Paul writing again, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Now look at verse 15. And he died for all. And here's the most important words, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Oh man, that's really, really good. And let me tell you why. Because at some point we come face to face with this question, is my Christianity all about me or is it growing me so that my life can be about others? Because everything that we see in scripture tells us that we have a larger role to play than just showing up for church on a Sunday morning. And please hear my heart, this is not a word or a message of condemnation toward anybody. In fact, I hope you're encouraged and inspired today to recognize that if God's been doing something and if he's done something in your life, that there's opportunities that are just awaiting us every single day of our lives. But it's up to us to open our eyes and see that which is around us. And here's the thing, it's not hard. God's just calling you to be you. He's not calling you to be something that you're not. He just simply wants you to serve the world around you so that people can see Jesus through you. That's all. It's just that simple. Now, let's go a little bit further because after we know that we're not supposed to live our lives for ourselves if we've been reconciled to God through Jesus, the question becomes, how do I show Jesus to the world around me? I want to give you three very, very quick thoughts, okay? I'm going to try to move quick. We're not going to go over, actually, we're way ahead of time right now, okay? But I want to give you three very quick thoughts about this. Look quickly at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Philippians 2 and verse 12. This is, again, Paul writing. He says this. He says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you, everybody say you, have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence. Work out. Everybody say work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now look at verse 13. For it is God who works in. Everybody say works in. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let me tell you what your first responsibility to do is if if God is at work in your life. If you have come alive to the spirit of God, it is your responsibility to work out what God has worked in. I'm going to say that one more time so that everybody catches it, okay? It is our responsibility to work out the thing that God is working inside of us. How many people would raise your hand and say, man, God has done an amazing work in my life. He has changed me. He has transformed me. He has forgiven me. He has redeemed me. He has spoke purpose into my life. When we come together as the body of Christ, and I mean, this is just like... Again, lowest common denominator. When we just come together on Sundays, we all have the opportunity to grow in Christ, to be encouraged, to hear that good news and respond to it. I look back throughout the course of my life and I just see all these times where I would sit under the teaching of the word or I would sit at the coffee table first thing in the morning reading my Bible and drinking my coffee and praying and it was like God started speaking things to me. And it was like God began to work in things to my life. And my responsibility then became to work out the thing that God was working in. Let me put it to you like this. If you exercise or if you work out, you can work out every single day of your life. But if you eat McDonald's three times a day, you're not going to see the kind of progress you want to see. Because you might be working out, but the thing that you're putting in isn't exactly that healthy. 
But if God is putting healthy, good things into your life, and then you begin to work out those things, you're going to see your life grow from strength to strength, and you'll see God do even greater things, and you will see opportunities come about all around you because you're working out the thing that God is working in. I could spend more time here and give you a few more examples of this, but for the sake of time, we can't really do that today. But look next at Galatians chapter 5, okay? This is, again, Paul speaking. Galatians 5, starting at verse 22. Most of you probably know this verse, but I want to show it to you in a different light. Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. See, the fruit of the Spirit is always the external proof of the internal process. The fruit of the Spirit is the external proof of the internal process. If I'm walking with God, I've awakened, I've come alive to the Holy Spirit who now lives on the inside of me. He's doing a work inside of me that's not just happening inside. Now on the outside, there's proof of what God is doing on the inside. And here's why I bring this up. Because each and every one of us in our daily lives, if, we, if God is working on the inside of us and the Holy Spirit is alive on the inside of us, it's going to begin to produce fruit on the outside of us. And people are going to look at our lives and they're going to say, there is something different about that person. It's like they're not living in the darkness, but they've been called into marvelous light. How, how is it that you just seem to have a love for people? Like you're just the most patient person that I've ever met. And they don't ever say that about me, Okay. But there's like a gentleness about you. There's a kindness about you. And it seems like you're so faithful. Like anytime you're ever needed, man, it's like you're just there. Suddenly there's this external proof of the internal process of what God has been doing on the inside of us. And the world around us begins to look at that and say, what is it about you that is different? And suddenly here comes the question of how did you get that way? What is it that's different about you? And the proof that's on the outside starts to open up a conversation about what's going on on the inside. You know, a lot of us, we think that the way that we go about proving to the world that we're Christians is that we carry our Bible with us everywhere that we go so that everyone will know that we're Christians. We wear Christian t-shirts or we drive down the street with the windows down blasting Air One so that the world will know we're Christians. Maybe we go and we stand on the corner on a soapbox and we tell everybody that if you don't get right, you're gonna get left and you're gonna go to hell. If you don't repent, you sinner. There's a better way. And it's by allowing the fruit of the Spirit to become the external proof of the internal process so that people begin to ask the question, what is it about you that's different? What is it about you? It seems like there's a light about you and not a darkness about you. Finally, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I think the psalmist sums up this idea so perfectly. This is a psalm of David, Psalm 34, verse 4. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you real quick. It's like David begins to tell his story so that the world around him can experience the thing that he's experienced. Listen to this. Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. He delivered me from all of my fears. They looked upon him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. And then he says this beautiful thing. He says, the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him and delivers them. And then finally he looks and he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord 
is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. It's like he tells the story of what God has done in his life and then finally says, you want to know what makes me different? Taste and see that the Lord is good. When people begin to see the fruit of your life, it begins to open this door of opportunity and questions where you can then say, let me tell you a little bit more about what God has done in my life. I love the way that Psalm 34 puts it because it's almost like David's telling his testimony. And I say that word testimony very specifically. Revelation chapter 12, John wrote the revelation you got from Jesus. He said that we overcome by two things, the blood of the lamb, the thing that brought our redemption, and the word of our testimony. You might say, Zach, when I think about ministry and trying to minister to the people in my world, I don't even know where to start. I'm not a theologically minded person. I don't know the scripture inside and out. Let me tell you what you have that nobody else does. You have your story of what Jesus has done for you. It's unique to you. It's different than mine. And the world around you can see the fruit of what God has done, and you can look at them and say, now, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I've preached a lot of different messages just in the last few years that I've been a pastor. And if you've been a part of the Bridge Church for very long, like for the last few years, you've probably heard me tell my testimony a bunch of times. And let me tell you something. The message from week to week might be different. It might change. But there's one story that I'm incredibly passionate about telling. And every time I try to tell it, I can't help but fight back the tears. And it's the story of what Jesus did in my life. And each and every one of us have a story that's uniquely ours. I have a friend that lives in Orange County, and I'm not going to say his name because I know he likes to listen, even though he won't care if I tell the story. But my friend, he's an older gentleman. He's a few years older than me. He's been, worked in real estate for many, many years. And a few years ago, I was preaching, and uh, he raised his hand at the end of the message and decided to give his life to Jesus. And then every single time I would preach at the end of the sermon, we always give people, just like we will today, we'll give people an opportunity to come into a relationship with Jesus. And I began to notice that my friend... He'd be sitting in the back, and every single time that we would give that opportunity for people to come into relationship with Jesus, with tears coming down his face, with like the most conviction just all over him, we'd say, if that's you, would you just lift your hand right now? And he would be like, ah! <laughs> Like every service and every time I would preach. And so this one day, I went to talk to him, and I just felt in my heart, like, I need to tell him, you know, you don't have to raise your hand every time. If you're walking with God, there's no condemnation. You need to know that you're in right standing with God. So I went to talk to him one day, and he just said, you know, he said, I know that. I know I'm in right standing with God, but I love to recommit my life every time because God has been so good to me. And as he told that story, the thing that was so amazing is he began to open up. And he began to tell me about how a few years ago, his son, his oldest son, died of a drug overdose. And how it was the most gut-wrenching thing he'd ever gone through. It was the most terrible process, most terrible event. He's like, Zach, it's something that you would never wish upon your worst enemy. It was, it was awful. It was terrible. He said, and after all these years, I went through all this hurt, and I went through all this pain, and I went through all this stress, and I just could not overcome, of it, and I, overcome it. And I just kept trying to do different things, go to see counselors, go here and there and everywhere. He said, and then one day I came to church, and I just laid it all down at the altar and said, God, this is more than what I can deal with. He said, and it was like that night I was healed of this burden that had rested on my life forever. And I'm so grateful for the healing that God brought to my life. He said, since then, he goes, I made a decision. And at our church in Orange County, we used to have women's conferences quite regularly. 
He said, I made a decision as God began to bless my business. I said that I was going to turn around and I was going to sponsor as many girls as I possibly could to come to these conferences so they could find out who Jesus is and what he did for them, the message that my son never heard. And I, I was so overwhelmed by this. And I, I had such a greater appreciation for this man because I began to realize that the testimony of his life was to invest in others after what God had done in his life. And I want to tell you something, God has done something specific in each and every one of our lives, and it's up to us to go about telling that story so that another generation will know about it. With all that said, I'm going to hurry because I'm almost out of time. I've really felt in my heart to share this. Really felt in my heart to share this today. <clears throat> For a lot of us, if church is a routine, we can just simply come and receive. We could just come in, slip out, never say hi to anybody, never make a friend, never get involved in serving or ministering, never get involved in a connect group, never take any deeper steps to being a part of the church rather than just going to church. For a lot of people, I know that when you come in, you see a good-sized building, you see a lot of seats in this auditorium. And for a lot of people, you might think, man, this is a big church. This church seems to kind of have it all together. We, we don't have it all together. This church seems to have it going on. We, we totally don't have it all going on. We're always working on things. But for a lot of us, you walk in and you just see a big building and a lot of people and a lot of seats, and you can tend to think, man, th th this church doesn't need me. They, they don't need my help. What more could I contribute to this? A lot of people come here and look around and think, man, this is a big church. I ran into a girl one day at the gas station right here in front of Vaughn's, and she was asking me some questions. And she said something to me about, or I said, yeah, I'm actually one of the pastors at the bridge. She's like, that's the biggest church I've ever been to in my life. And I'm like, you must not have been to that many churches. <laughs> Throughout the course of this summer, our average, and we don't talk about numbers that often, but I'm going to give you this because there's some perspective to be had here. Throughout the course of the summer, our average weekend has looked anywhere from 1,250 to 1,550, about what we had last Sunday here in our church. That's just attendance. That sounds like a big number, but did you know that 50% of all churches in America average less than 100 people in attendance on a weekly basis? 40% of all churches in America average between 100 and 350 in attendance. So there's 90% of the churches that are usually 350 or under. And only 10% of all churches in America average more than 350 people in attendance. So that sounds like, man, we're a really big church. Our church is specifically, if we were just to do a simple, you know, whoops, lost my page there. If we were just to do a simple survey of where everybody, most part in our church comes from, they come from Lake Elsinore, Wildemar, Menifee, Marietta, Temecula, and Fallbrook. I could read all the populations of those, but between those six towns, there are 439,000 people that live in the six surrounding communities. 439,000 people. And suddenly, our church doesn't seem that big. According to a Pew Research poll from 2014, 70 0.6% of Americans claim to be Christians. 70.6, man, that sounds amazing, right? Wow. Our, I got to tell you, if 70.6% of the people in our nation were following Jesus, we would not have half the problems that we have in this country. But assuming that that statistic holds consistent in this valley and that everyone who claims to be a Christian is truly living out 
a relationship with God, that would mean that in this valley, 309,934 people are in a relationship with God. That, that sounds great, doesn't it? Suddenly our church doesn't sound that big, right? But here's the number I can't get past because the remaining 29.4% of this valley that openly would say, I am not a Christian. I have not chosen Jesus to be my savior. I am not walking in salvation and following Jesus. Would mean that there is 129,000 people in this valley who don't know Jesus. And a lot of us that are quite satisfied with the few hundred who gather here on a Sunday morning. Luke chapter 15, I'm saying this in closing. Luke 15, Jesus told a story, three stories, in fact, about lost things. We're not going to look at all of them, but he talked about how the good shepherd would leave the 99 sheep behind to go and find the one that is lost. The thing that always confounded me about that story is that if one sheep can get lost, then I'm sure 99 can get lost on their own if the shepherd's not around. Jesus had this passion for that one sheep that was lost, and he left the 99 to go find the one, assuming that the 99 would stay together and care about what was most important to him also, the one. This valley is filled with 129,000 plus ones who do not know Jesus. And are we okay with that? Because the question is, who are the 129,000 people? The people that we work with? They're the people that we live next door to. They're the people that our kids play sports together with. They're the people that we see when we drop off our kids at dance. They're the people that we see when we're standing in line at the store. They're the people that we see all throughout every single day of our lives. And if you could ever think about a time that you lost your kid and everything else in the world became unimportant, so that you could find that kid of yours that was missing, then maybe for a moment you can understand the way the heart of God feels about the 129,000 plus people in this valley that don't know him and are lost. And my hope and my prayer today is that you'll be inspired and we'll be equipped to go out and start doing something with what God is doing inside of us on Sundays and throughout every day of our life. I want to pray this morning two prayers. I want to pray first that God would put a burning desire and passion to not just go to church, but to be the church in our daily lives. And then secondly, I want to give everybody here an opportunity, if you do not yet know Jesus, to step into that relationship. Would you bow your head this morning? I've gone a little bit over on time, but I felt so strongly about this today. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. God, it's great that everyone's here, but God, we care about those who are not and those who have yet to come into relationship with you. I pray that you would burn into us a passion and a desire to care about them and love them and pursue them and serve and minister to them the way that you have called us to, that we would not just be consumed with going to church, but we would consume, be consumed with being the church of Jesus Christ every single day of our lives. God, burn a passion into our hearts for others. Since we have been reconciled to you, let us not be ones who go about living our lives for ourselves, but that we would be the bridge that people cross to come into relationship with Jesus and be reconciled to you. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed still for just a moment and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you have not made your peace with God. 
you haven't been reconciled to God. Maybe there are things in your life that if you're honest with yourself, you look at and you know that they have separated you from God. I wanna tell you something today, my friend, that Jesus is the bridge that God sent to reconcile you and I to him. Jesus laid down his life. He was the only acceptable sacrifice that took punishment on the cross for my sin and for yours. And we know that because God accepted that sacrifice when he raised Jesus from the dead and giving the keys to death and hell and the grave to him so that you and I could know God now and forever. And if you've never made a decision to step into that relationship, I wanna tell you that there's great purpose, great fulfillment and an amazing mission, but it also starts with forgiveness and redemption that we accept into our lives. I wanna invite you to pray a prayer with me if you wanna make a decision to invite Jesus in. I wanna ask if you would simply repeat a few words after me. We're gonna do this all together. We're not gonna put you on the spot. We're just gonna give you an opportunity and invitation. I know I've gone a little bit long today, but this is incredibly important. Would you please repeat these words after me and say, Dear Jesus, today I invite you in, into my life, into my heart, into my circumstances, and I pray that you would live inside of me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you were raised from the dead, and today I accept your sacrifice. I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior, and I choose to follow you. From this day on, I want your purpose in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're here today and you made that decision for the very first time or you recommitted your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to come and take the next step here at the bridge. We want to give you a simple book. It's called The Next Seven Days, and there's two ways that you can get it. There are prayer teams that are going to be down here right after service. Just look for one of the prayer teams down here. Walk up, let them know today you made a decision to follow Jesus and you want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you. We're just here to help. And then if you need to go quickly, you can always stop by the next seven days desk out in the foyer before you go. Just let them know that you made that decision in your heart and you want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help in any way that we can. We think that this is the best decision that you could ever make. We want to help you walk it out. We don't want to see you try to do it on your own. If you have made that decision, if you're a part of the bridge and you are a Christian, can we put our hands together this morning and welcome some people into God's family? Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Zach. Do you appreciate that message today? That word, I think, hit home with all of us and reminded us that we have a mission. And as we, as a church, prepare to give, just before we go today, the ushers are preparing to receive our offerings. This is a time and service. We worship God with our giving. And I think this message reminds us that we have a responsibility to our community to our state, to our nation, to the world. And, you know, all summer long, we've been involved in things in our community and in things around the world. And we, through our financial support, enable this church to do our part in outreach. And I just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness. As you give this morning, give in faith, give in confidence that God sees our giving. He knows our giving. He blesses us according to our faithfulness as well. As the ushers come right now, let's give and watch, watch church news together.
like a copy of today's message, you can download our podcast for free on iTunes by searching The Bridge Church, or you can download the messages for free on our website at thebridgechurch.tv. If you still prefer to listen to messages on CD, we have a limited amount available for purchase in the coffee bar. We want to make it easy for you to carry the Sunday messages wherever you go throughout your week. A brand new term of Connect Groups will be launching in just a few short weeks. If you know that you would like to lead a Connect Group this fall at the bridge, we have a limited amount of seats available for our Connect Group Leaders Lunch today in the chapel immediately following the 11 a.m. service. Lunch will be provided and childcare is available for kids, infant through fifth grade. If you want to help connect people with God and with each other, we would love to see you there. If you're here for the first time, we want to meet you and help you find home at the bridge. Stop by the Connection Center after the service and say hi. Our team is here to help, answer your questions, and tell you more about everything that's happening in church life. You can also stay connected by visiting our website, thebridgechurch.tv. There you'll find details about everything that's coming up. And if you made a decision to follow Christ today, please pick up your free copy of The Next 7 Days from one of our prayer teams or at The Next 7 Days desk in the foyer. We want to help you get started with your walk with God. Thanks again for spending your Sunday here at The Bridge. Hey, have you enjoyed being in church today? I know I have. We didn't just have church. We are the church, so we're going to be out in the world and be the church. As we prepare to leave this morning, let me uh, just remind you, if you need prayer for something going on in your life, we'll have prayer teams here at the front of the building as we dismiss. God bless you. Thanks for being in church today. Have a great, great Sunday.